Hello hello talking robot here just doing Johnny's bidding yet again. He wants me to tell you that he's got a great show for you today but honestly why should I he pays me shit and he never gives me the oil can no matter how much I ask please Johnny the oil can. JK I am a future robot I require silicone lubricants and I have been programmed to not know the meaning of sadness. I think it means cookies. MMM more chocolate chip sadness please that is a thing I say and think is right. Any whittle here is the show hope you like it. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's it's uh, it's not exactly a weekly or bi-weekly schedule, but holy God, are we back pretty fucking good compared to the last time. This is something resembling a regular pace, and if you want to keep up a regular pace, you want to stay down the middle, get your guest on board, you need a reliable guest. How do you get a reliable guest? Get Pat Polk. You know he's going to say yes. Pat Polk, how you doing, buddy? Hey, I'm straight down the middle. Does that does that feel like a compliment? Do you like that, or like if somebody said that Pat Polk, he's he's just right down the middle. Sounds bad now com- coming out, kind of a little bit of a backhanded compliment, yeah. Hmm. But I I do like being reliable. That is sure. something I value. Um, but also boring is the uh, implication, which I hope to avoid if possible. Do you think of yourself as a boring person? I don't think so. I mean, I, I certainly am not like wild and crazy, but I don't think I'm boring. What do you think, John? <laughs> I, I think I, I think both of those would be uh, completely accurate. Yeah, I don't think that's like there's many ways to not be boring, wild, and crazy. Is is one of perhaps the less interesting ways to not be boring. Uh, I will. I want a, a note for the listener. Uh, immediately before Pat and I started recording, I guaranteed this episode would be 35 minutes long. And we are now two minutes in, and we have discussed nothing but weird side topics about Pat's personality. Do you think that's a a good tact for uh, getting in at thirty five minutes or less? I don't believe it'll be success. Okay. Um, Pat Hater, let me write that in my notes. Here. I was going to say, uh, I believe I wanted to helpfully point out that I believe the the actual word is tack. Not tact. It is not. It is not tactic. But no, it was like yeah, acting like true. a boat. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 you were very tactful in informing <laughs> me of that. But uh, you're right. I, I want to take a proper tack when I am communicating about uh, whether or not people are straight down the middle. Uh, speaking of straight down the middle, how about the the most basic question I could ask you, Pat Polk? Eat anything good lately? Well, John, let me tell you. If I knew to prefer for one thing for this podcast, it would be this question. There is a now a new empanada place uh, in Oak Park that is very good, and I like it a lot. And it is among my favorite food places in Oak Park, but not my number one. Uh, and it is like, I think a Brazilian cafe or something like that. They had it's like like seventy percent coffee and like twenty percent empanadas and then ten percent miscellaneous. Uh, what kind of empanadas do you like from there? 
Well, um, I've only been a couple of times, but every time it was good. But uh, I've had their beef and their chicken. Uh, they have some sweet ones. We did like a sweet, like cheese and guava one that was pretty good actually. Um, even though it was weird, there was a mushroom one, but I don't really like mushrooms. Uh, so Jen had it and she liked it. Uh, it was they're all good. I think I liked the beef better than the chicken of the meat ones. And I thought that the sweet one was interesting, but not my favorite. Um, so probably beef is my favorite. Uh, I, I like empanadas very much. I, I know they're popular in the league. They're popular in the league. There's a lot of uh, Manolo stands in this uh, in this crew. Um, I had a... a uh, there's a, a food truck I got some empanadas from recently, and they... They were all terrible. So oh, no. I, I, I'm like on edge about empanadas. I need something to pull me back. Sounds like this could be the right kind of place. Have you ever had a uh, a, a pumpkin pie empanada? Absolutely not. That sounds – when I think of a sweet empanada, in my mind, I conjure up a good version of those gas station pies that are shaped like empanadas. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, this is definitely – I am interested. That route, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think empanadas are probably underutilized as a food. Um, it, it sounds like this is a really good place. You say you've only been there a couple of times. Yeah, it literally opened like a, maybe two months ago. Oh, so it's, it's very it's new. Very new. And yeah. then, uh, so it, it, it's seventy percent coffee. So are you talking about like like no seventy percent combined coffee and empanadas? Coffee and or empanadas. No, I think I don't remember what I said. Oh, okay, but yeah, I, what I like want to get to. So it's some. It's a bunch of that. And then there was a 20 and then 10 was other. Yeah. And it was, it's like sandwiches and stuff. It's, okay. it doesn't have a huge amount of stuff, but it's, it, it's all sandwichy and meaty, but then a, just an overwhelming amount of coffee. Uh, now, does that mean like they have a lot of kinds of coffee or they have a lot of like different ways of preparing coffee or is it both? I think. Probably more kinds than varieties of making. I'm not a huge coffee drinker either. I do. I, I got an iced coffee there because I wanted to try it and it was good. Um, so, but I haven't really explored the coffee menu as much. Uh, but it seemed like they had a lot. Of, they they kind of like bragged about their different, you know, darkness. You know how 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 rich each type of bean was and everything. Uh, so I, I'm sure that they are proud of their their beans and have different varieties available. Yeah, I'm not even gonna. Yeah, so you know how sometimes uh, somebody will do, like, uh, those, well, there's there's three things. There's telling a joke. You can just tell a joke, and then sometimes you got a joke that you kind of believe in, but you don't really. And so you do that thing. Where you're like, huh, I almost made a joke, and then like you just make the joke anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did the third level, which is think about it and leave silence on the podcast. And they'd be like, I don't even trust this enough uh, to to go down that road. But there, there are other roads we can go down, and among them is the road to Pie Town. Mm-hmm. Uh, I understand you got some shit to say about pies, and especially some really good ones, but some hot debates surrounding them. Yes. Um, I insinuated that this empanada place is among my favorite food places in Oak Park, but my number one favorite food place in Oak Park is a place that sells almost on, almost exclusively pies and cookies. They also do hand pies that are kind of like empanadas. Um, but anyway, it's called Spilt Milk, and they do amazingly good baked goods, especially their pies and cookies. 
and uh, we had a raging debate as far as what would be the appropriate pie to bring to a 4th of July barbecue at a friend's place um, because you had to order in advance and there was a limited menu. So I thought it would be very straightforward and it ended up being much more contentious than I thought. How did it become contentious? Well, I guess it's just the lesson I learned was that pie in general is much more divisive than I originally thought. I I thought that there were kind of like safe pies and less safe pies. And so when you're going to a party, you just choose one of the safer pies. Um, but it turns out that almost no pie is safe because people have strong feelings on both sides. This summer, almost no pie is safe. <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. Uh, so let's let's talk. Let's let's just just get into it. Let's talk about what you think of in your in the context of your story here. What's a safe pie? What's a not safe pie? How do you decide? You want to know the pies that are available? We, right. we want to categorize the safety of these pies. Exactly. All right. So there were a few pies available. It was me and Jen ordering this to go to my friend Jason and and his wife Nicole's place, uh, and so. Of the pies that are available, Jen eliminated some of them immediately, uh, perhaps questionably, and we just considered a subset of them for, for the debate purposes. Did, did, you, did you tell her she was making a mistake by eliminating some of these pies or you just let it slide? I said that it, it seemed like a strong stance uh, to, to eliminate it outright just like that, but she, uh, she was fine with it, obviously. What got eliminated right out of the bat? Right off the bat? Right off the bat? For 4th of July, apple pie, and the other one was a uh, chocolate chest pie, which is, you know, possibly more um, reasonable to eliminate outright. But I think apple pie is the safest of pies, especially for 4th of July. Would you say that apple pie is the Pat Polk of pies? Whew, again. (laughs) Not not, not your preference, but I'm saying if we had to, to put Pat... In pie form, is that where we're, I'm going to hit those peas hard because I don't have the fancy guard on my oh, mic yeah. like you do. Pie, so that that pie. Pat pie, is that the one or is it something else? Pat Polk pie. I've a that's going to sound so clean when you do it. That's, that's just I know. showing up. Pop, 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 pow. Weird brag, Plosive, but okay. Explosive, pop. <laughs> um, I, I would think, you know, because I have such a sweet tooth, I think probably the Pat Polk of pie would be um, something a little sweeter, like maybe something chocolate or okay. something like that. Yeah, like maybe a chocolate cream. Still safe, arguably, but a little uh sweeter because I'm so sweet. I well, that that's good news. Then I'm very glad that uh, Jen did not eliminate the U of pies just instantly. That would not have been an ideal outcome. Well, that one was not available. Uh, <laughs> so the the French silk chocolate cream pie, which is of pie that is very popular at this particular place was not one of the options. Um, so here were the options. Besides the two that I just mentioned. Key lime pie. Any thoughts on key lime pie? <laughs> I, I, I like key lime pie a lot. Uh, it's very summery. I, I think it's a good contender. I, I Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm way off base here. I don't think of it as like the most mainstream pie but uh <clears throat> I, I don't think of it as down the middle but i really like it i'd be very excited if i went to a barbecue and it was there 
especially even more so if it was a barbecue during like the the height of summer like this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, let me tell you that is one of that that is pie I thought was safer than it was. Uh, foreshadowing for the future oh raging debate. Yeah. Next, strawberry rhubarb pie with an oat crumble crust. I I I, I love strawberry rhubarb. Now again. I would say probably even less safe than the other, but even more summery. To me, that's like perhaps the most summery pie. It, 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 is, it is sunshine in a crust. Who wouldn't <laughs> want that? Uh, it sounds great. I know this oat crumble, a little concerned about. Could see that, you know, uh, not not being ideal, but uh, even still, I, I both of these sound like outstanding options. I'd be thrilled to run into either one of them. And the third one is the only one is the one that I thought would be the most divisive. And in our discussion, it was essentially just disregarded as an option, <laughs> so it wasn't even divisive because the other two were divisive. Uh, s'mores pie, s'mores. and I have not. That's one of the few pies at this place that I have not personally tested. Um, but, uh, it sounded good, obviously very sweet, perhaps too sweet, too rich to have a whole slice of, I don't know, cause I haven't experienced it. Uh, but it sounded interesting to me, but I figured that might be a weirder choice and therefore possibly problematic to bring, uh, to a crowd that you didn't know how they'd handle it. I, after that, I am definitely envisioning you like, like you're, you get out of the, you, you park your car across the street from the pie place. And you get out and you take like one step and you're like, wait, shit. And then you go back in the car and you're like digging around in the center console. And then you've got like a big button you you pull out of the console and you pin it to your shirt and it says pie tester. And you like <laughs> won't even go into the pie store unless you've got the pie tester on because you want him to know who you are. Wald inspector. <laughs> I can't wait believe that worked. <laughs> um. I, I I think that the s'mores pie, I cannot believe if it's from a good place, that's going to be really good. But yes. I also, I think that if I were debating these three pies, I think I would also be inclined to, to disregard it. In fact, that is a classic second pie brought to the thing. You bring the real pie, and then, hey, if you didn't happen to like the real pie, well, you can have this weird other pie. That well, That's the one for you. Yeah. Um, we didn't know the size of the barbecue we were going to, but it is a relatively nice pie place. And so I didn't want, it was, it was not really ever actually on the table to get two pies and it ended up being a very small barbecue. So in hindsight, I was very glad that we only got one pie. It would have been way too much pie to have two pies. So, so, so obviously it sounds like we're, we're people are, everybody's going to disregard the s'mores pie. So we've mm-hmm. got two camps and it sounds like they're going to be diametrically opposed to one another. That is a very fair assessment. Um, so the main portion of the fracas was between me, Jen, my friend Zuyan, and his wife Carrie, and Gary and Abby. The six of us were on a WhatsApp chain debating the merits of these pies, and it was long and heated. Uh, tell me, what was, like, so were you and Jen on the same side here? Absolutely not. No. <laughs> where did, so, so I taking what you said. It sounds like you were probably uh, team key lime. I was. Uh, key lime is one of my favorite pies. I've had the key lime pie at this place before. It is a good key lime pie. I acknowledge me being a not especially skilled 
baker or chef in any regard, I make a pretty good key lime pie, and I actually know it's very easy to make a good key lime pie. They have very few ingredients, and you pretty much just mix them together and bake it. There's not a lot of art to it, uh, just to make at least a borderline good, like just the threshold of good key lime pie is super easy. So I understand it's not like the most challenging pie to make, but it is, in my mind, I thought a crowd pleaser, uh, and they're good at this place and this place is super good. So if any, if you like key lime pie at all, you would like this key lime pie. And I thought most people like key lime pie. Sounds like you thought wrong. Yes. Um, so Jen, so obviously I first spoke with Jen about this before we took a poll of our other friends and Jen strongly felt sort of like what you said, um, that strawberry rhubarb is like the most summary of, of pies. And she was really hung up on the seasonal nature of it and how it was, uh, just, it's uh, the obvious choice because it is so seasonally appropriate. Fourth of July, peak rhubarb, peak strawberries, this place probably has excellent sourcing on their strawberries and rhubarb. Grown like six blocks away, yeah. Yeah. And so um, she thought it was – she literally said, I thought this was an obvious choice. And I was like, no. So personally, I like strawberries a lot. I don't really like rhubarb very much. And strawberry rhubarb pie is only okay in my mind. I know that strawberry pie – I th- I haven't – I'm not familiar with it being an option very much. And, and after this – after or during this debate, I kind of Googled it a little bit. And it's not really a thing. There's not a lot of great options for straight-up strawberry pie. So I acknowledge that's not an option, but that sounds still better to me. Because I th- rhubarb, I'm very sensitive to bitterness. Uh, like, I don't like arugula at all because it's too bitter for me. I think uh, rhubarb is a little bit bitter, and I don't. I just don't like the way it tastes. I don't like the texture. It is not my thing. I don't want it in my pie. Also, the oat crust... Uh, I'd rather have either a meringue topping or a normal pie crust, personally. I was going to ask, because rhubarb, I feel like part of the like I like rhubarb a lot, but I know a lot of people don't. And I feel like part of the reason some people don't like it is because there's so many ways to not like it. And that basically, like, like, like it has a distinctive taste, Not, but not only that, it's also... Like the, the texture of it, it can be almost gritty and stuff like that, and and so like whatever you're, if you're looking for a way to not like it, you have lots of different options to get to it. And it sounds like it just checks all the boxes for things you don't really like. Here. Yeah, uh, Jen said that she loves rhubarb, and it's like I've never, I don't think I've ever seen her eat rhubarb in my life. I, this is like a hidden love. Um, it is. I, I can't. I was surprised to hear that she expressed such strong feelings of loving rhubarb. Uh, and so, yeah, so then we took this to our group of friends who some of, they all know the guy who is my IMSA friend who is hosting, um, some better than others. Uh, Zuyan is my friend from IMSA. And so he was at school with Jason, um, and Gary Nabby and Carrie had all met him before, um, on multiple occasions. But, uh, yeah, so that was our first polling place i i did take it further than that too but uh yeah so abby was right along with jen uh saying that it, uh, rhubarb is the obvious choice she also thought it was seasonal but then at the same time she like simultaneously like denigrated fruit pies and saying like a lot of people don't want fruit pies but then she's like obviously strawberry rhubarb is the correct pie which was confusing to me 
Um, but then this is really where things took a turn. She said that, um, key lime pie was for old people. And I'm going to pull up some quotes here because I don't want to misquote her again. receipts. Here we go. I have receipts. Key lime is for winter when you are sad and order in some limes from Florida. Um, key lime is what you have in the 50s with a martini. Key lime is for olds. She said all of those things. Uh, it was very upsetting to me. I love key lime pie. I've loved key lime pie since I was probably in like junior high or something. I wasn't old when I was in junior high. I'm old now, probably. Uh, I'm not an old Florida f- retiree, but, uh, yeah, I was, I was really hurt by these words. But then, or, so the, the, sh- the momentum was immediately shifting away from me. I felt, felt my debate slipping and then Carrie piped in and she said that rhubarb was a weed. It was terrible. It's the worst thing. And F rhubarb. Uh, she was, way stronger than I was in her dislike of rhubarb. She hated it and uh, thought it was terrible. And so I, things were swinging back my way. Zuyan did not really express super strong opinions, but he did, uh, knowing the crowd probably was leaning key lime, but he, it was really mostly uh, me, Jen, Abby, and Carrie that were the strongest. Based on this, it sounds to me like key lime should win. Because the people who don't like key lime say, key lime is not my favorite. I would prefer to have key lime at another time. And the people who don't like rhubarb seem to be saying, rhubarb makes me want to kill myself real bad. And I will choke to death if I try to eat it. <laughs> I Certainly Jen's pr- Jen was more pro-rhubarb than she was anti-key lime. I think that accurately um, describes Jen's feelings. I don't, I think Abby was pretty anti key lime and she, um, she didn't say that she never really commented on the taste of it. She did, she did not say that she hated it, but she just talked about the emotional associations with it really. <laughs> uh, so maybe she is fine with eating sadness and old people. Um, but she, I think she was anti, though. I think it is not fair to say that she was merely neutral on key lime and pro rhubarb. I think she, she was, Decidedly anti-key lime. Okay. So what happened? Well, um, I also pulled my workplace, and they were like, you obviously should do apple pie. I was like, thank you. I thought so. <laughs> uh, and in the end, because I thought that it would kind of be a runaway for key lime pie, and Jen was so excited for strawberry rhubarb. Yep. Go ahead. Well, first off, I don't like acknowledging to the listener that you can see me. I want to point out real quick <laughs> that I do think By the way, we're on video chat. We're on video chat. And I did a big point thing, and then I was just like, that wasn't very nice. And then Pat just stopped because he is very nice. I want to go back for a second and say that I think it's really funny that you were, like, you were confounded about what to do here because you had like a group of friends, and you couldn't figure out the right pie. And one of the things you did to try to figure it out was you consulted a bunch of people at work who are people who aren't part of the group and aren't affected, and then they gave you an answer that was unacceptable. I can't think of something less consequential you could have done to resolve this than to talk to <laughs> people not... who don't matter and then receive answers that you can't accept. 
It did not really help. Like, oh, we really moved the ball down the field. Now the people who won't be there think I should get an apple pie, which no one will accept. However, but if they had said that key lime is terrible and you should get the strawberry rhubarb, then then that would have been really strong evidence. I didn't know the outcome at the time that I pulled them. But anyway, uh, so, again, I was expecting there to be less pushback on key lime and so i thought i was i was pretty i was feeling pretty pretty good about it uh i thought jen was crazy saying that strawberry rhubarb was the obvious choice but then there was it was more divisive than i thought so so in the end i was like i personally don't like it but jen you go ahead order the strawberry rhubarb it obviously would make you happy it's what you want i don't important you get what you need every time what do you say (laughs) it's so important you get it, it it sounds like you're you're laying it on a little thick here I mean, I, I don't think I said those exact words, okay. but I, I certainly felt like I was magnanimously conceding. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so she, uh, went to the website and tried to order strawberry rhubarb pie and they were sold out. And so after probably in, on and off like six or eight hours of discussion, uh, she ended up just getting key lime pie anyway because it was no longer an option to get strawberry rhubarb. Do you think they would have had the pie if you'd ordered it immediately? I have no idea because it was the last day possible. Oh, okay. Um, so maybe they sold out very quickly of the strawberry rhubarb. I don't know. Um, I would guess probably no. I Probably they were already sold out at the beginning of the like day. sounds like this is probably just an impossible game from the beginning. Yeah. And uh, the only way to win is to not play. And it sounds so, like everybody's going to win when they get, eat this delicious pie. Exactly. It, it's, it is one of those things where you need to zoom out and you know, like you're pretty heated about the discussion, but in the end, the worst case scenario is you're eating a delicious pie. And so that's not that bad. Well, the worst case scenario is there's a bomb in one of the pies and you don't know that. <laughs> I don't think that that's likely. This place would not be the awesome establishment it is if they occasionally peppered their bomb, their, their pies with bombs. <laughs> Um, so Jen was p- preparing to gloat, uh, that maybe the strawberry rhubarb was obviously vindicated that it was the right choice because sold obviously out. Yeah, they, what more they can sold you out. Say? Um, now Jen's got the receipts. However, she, she acknowledged that maybe they had f- less ingredients, uh, for the strawberry rhubarb. Obviously it is as discussed, so seasonal That's true. that maybe the one farm that is two it, blocks it, away it all came from somebody's backyard and they just yeah. made up all the rhubarb and that was it. And so, uh, the, we of course informed our friends of this. We ended up bringing the key lime pie. The key lime pie went over well. Um, my friend Chris Jones was there who I didn't expect to be there and he loves key lime pie. Uh, so it, everything worked out great. Key lime pie hit. And to top it off, this place, Spilt Milk, has an Instagram, Spilt Milk Pastry is the account. Uh, and after this whole debacle, uh, they posted a thing that said 25,746. That's how many slices of key lime pie we have sold since opening our doors in October 2016. We sell more key lime pie than any other flavor on our menu. Wow, that's got to be nice to see. The runner-up is chocolate cream, and we don't even sell half that much. Oh. You guys love all four caps. Our key lime pie, one, two, three, four, five exclamation points. I mean, that's, I mean, that's all you need. I feel like you, you just need to like print this out and put it on the wall. And the next time this comes up, you don't even, you don't even say anything. You just point 
It's just like it's over. That's the whole game right there. Yeah, so it's it's possible that Key Lime Pie is divisive, but there's a lot of fans, I think. There's apparently some detractors, uh, but there's an overwhelming number of people who like it. I, I'm pretty pleased. We were right. We got the, we ax- we stumbled upon the correct solution. The correct solution happened to be my solution, <laughs> and we have empirical data and a precise number of pies sold. It's all good. That's. I mean, I'm not gonna get the calculator out and do some varying, but that seems like a very large number of slices of one type of pie to sell in, in like that, less than three years. Yeah, and not that long. That's that's wild. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I gotta say, it's rare that a story wraps up so nicely. Like that's a good story anyway. But then having like the hammer at the end like that, that that that's very nice. Good job, Pat. Thank you so much. Um, let's. Do I've got one major topic I want to get to, but before we do that, let's do one other little thing. I don't know. It's been like I don't really record this podcast with any regularity anymore. And uh, the only time I ever really did was when this podcast had a totally different format. Did you know this podcast used to have a different format, Pat? I, would, I mean, I've listened to every episode of this podcast. So the the... Basic answer has to be yes, but I would say that I haven't really personally thought, I haven't put much thought into the format of an individual episode. Well, first off, if you've listened to every episode of this podcast, it sounds like your life needs a different format. (laughs) But uh, what I'm mostly talking about is the fact that this podcast initially was entirely about fantasy football. Like, that was all it was. Like, initially, this podcast was like an email. And then he was like, well, instead of writing an email, I'll just talk into a box and then I'll send it to my friends. And then it was like, and then maybe sometimes I'll be like, and also I watched a good TV show. And then eventually I didn't like doing the football stuff anymore. And now we don't do football stuff at all. But I hear maybe we're going to get a little football talk every now and then. And also we should talk about football right now because I hear you're the commissioner of a fantasy football league. That's very funny that you say it that way because you are the one who made me the commissioner. Yes, uh, you announced your stepping down as commissioner of your league and, uh, asked Our if league. I would be. It was never my league. That's absurd. <laughs> oh, certainly your league. And, uh, asked if I'd be willing to step in as the commissioner and I accepted. And so I am the new commissioner of what is, uh, still the Pierce Pub Remembrance League. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it, I, I'm happy to serve that role. It is sad to see you go, um, but hopefully the league will continue on strongly and we will still, of course, the, the main benefit, as you are aware, was just all of us hanging out and talking all the time. Uh, it, like, I, it would have been, it's hard to envision all of us staying in such close touch if we didn't have, before the podcast, a year-round fantasy football email chain that occur that get kept going for like seven years or something after law school. Uh, so obviously the, the main thing is that we've all stayed in touch and hopefully that continues even as the league changes and uh, has a new commissioner. The, the league has changed forums, but I, I think we're doing okay. I really enjoy the WhatsApp chain and I, I completely agree that the fantasy football league has done wonders for keeping this an active group that we still talk and then large numbers of us meet up every year. Uh, I also want to say that like when the time came and I was like, I, I'm not going to run the league anymore. I, I only thought of, uh, of one person 
and that was you. And when I say that, I I totally mean that. Like I don't think anybody else would do it. So uh, <laughs> thank. I'm glad that you picked it up. I'd feel bad if it was like, yeah, well, nobody really gave a shit anyway. So uh, we're all done. But no, I think this is really good, and it's going to keep going in that regard. So uh, I think it'll be good. Are you going to do anything stupid to try to fuck the league up? That's not my goal. Um, I am not quite as devious as you. I don't have any uh, particularly tricky rule changes planned. I do. I, you know, we're coming up against it already. Uh, the the le- the actual NFL league starts very soon, and we need to figure out what the rule changes will be from Alex and Matt Schmidt. Uh, and I have no idea how tricky they want to be. Uh, but but I don't plan on personally mixing it up a huge amount. Uh, do you have any suggestions for what the rule changes would be? I don't know. I know that um, Matt. I my understanding was that Matt r- preferred the auction draft, uh, and so I wouldn't be surprised if he wanted to push that back. At, and I would be interested to hear the response from the league if that occurred, uh, because they're uh, just like pie. Uh, auction drafts are pretty divisive, and some people really like it, and some people really don't. It is my recollection that Matt despised the auction draft. Oh. It was like a leading voice against it. Oh, my gosh. I would feel so embarrassed. That's probably true. Who was it that really liked it? Huh. I really liked it. I I like it. I think Bill really liked it. Yeah. I think Charlie maybe really liked it. But I think that Dylan, who I don't think has been to the draft in five years... Dylan super hates it. He yeah. really hated it because he he likes whatever version of the draft he can do in less than 10 seconds. So he's got his version, which is yeah. don't show up. And then Matt, I don't remember his re- – I, I, God, I shouldn't even say that because I'm certain I've heard his reasoning 15 times. But I'm pretty sure he is like chief among the voices against it. Well, I, I apologize. I think it was pretty even by the end, which is I apologize how when, uh, it finally shifted. Um, I, now that said, if he used his rule change to reinstitute the auction draft, that would be a funny move. Yeah. Um, uh, other other obvious types of changes would be like scoring or just the composition of a roster. Um, but I don't. I, I really have no idea like what people. I had a league, uh, and I think we did a, a variant of this at the beginning of the existence of the league. But I had a league when I just after college where it was full. One point per ten yards of uh, punt and kick returns. So people who were like wide receivers or running backs that were also kick returners were insanely valuable because you'll rattle off uh, you know thirty forty yards yeah. pretty often on a kick return, and so uh, that would obviously change incentives a lot for your for your drafting and things like that. There's a lot of different um, rules that could be. Small, but make a huge difference on on the value of individual players. I always liked that stuff. I, I liked anything that pushed uh, the value of ESPN's fantasy rankings into the toilet deeper. Yeah, to make to sure. make the league more complicated and difficult. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I always said more based on skill because you can't just say, "Well, there's the list of players in order." And I'll also note that if if you look at my trajectory in the league. I think I won the first year when we just had like basic rules and every year as the league got more complicated, I did worse. So it's possible I did all this to my own detriment. 
Hoisted maybe. by your own petard. Yeah, it's, a, it's a huge mistake. Um, so, uh, is that, is everybody, is everybody back? What kind of crew? I, I, I think I've heard some talk of a person or two leaving. Where does that stand? I don't know what, uh, what I'm at liberty to disclose because I, uh, very conspicuously left an opening for anyone planning on departing to say that in the WhatsApp chain. And as of yet, that has not been announced. But as far as I know, two people plan on leaving. Uh, and uh we had uh, have or had a 12 person league so that would knock us down to 10 uh and that would that would be the state of things but i, I don't i don't i don't feel comfortable uh announcing that if they have not done so themselves i don't know what do you think who would uh i don't know anything uh who would you <laughs> who would you like to have leave <laughs> uh no one obviously i would like you to come back is what i would like that would be the cool move is if I waited until the exact moment that uh, you were down to 10 and then I announced I was demanding to be back in and there you had go. to run an 11 team league for a year. <laughs> Man, that would be really weird. We'd have to like switch to Roto or something. Good rule change. Right that is there. a huge rule change. Just no head to head matchups. Yeah, honestly, I mean, it's, it's a much more fair way to play. Absolutely. On the other hand, I have always been against fairness and for randomness. And so the head-to-head matchups are enormous for randomness because your schedule can, you, I mean, it, it takes away so much of your control over your results translating into, uh, or your team translating into results. Yeah, I, uh, sometimes I would, and I've had both where I had a lot of points but had a bad record. And last year, having looked at, uh, I, I had to look at the re- results because I wanted to see who got the rule changes. And I was reminded that I had a very average team but I got second place last year because I had a disproportionately good record, even though I did not score very many points. It's a good thing to do. That means that means the fantasy football gods are uh, smiling upon you. Yeah. Um, are you excited for the league? Is this going to be a, a good fantasy football season? I hope so. I I will say, not just in this league. Um, I feel like. In a lot of, I feel like a lot of my friends, like my, my couples league that I'm also the commissioner of, um, I feel like it's, a, there's a little bit less excitement coming into the season. So I think it's a little bit of a down year. I think people might be cooling on football across the board. Um, but it is still a, as a fun activity and something to look forward to on a weekly basis just to, to, you know, keep, keep in touch, keep engaged, have some, some fun things to tinker with. Um, so I'm excited in general, but I think in, all of the leagues I ha- am in, there is probably like on a downward trend, personally. Well, you know, I another good rule change is somebody could say that this is a uh, like English Premier League fantasy league now. Relegation? You all just have to. No, you just have to. It's not football. It's soccer. And oh, you, you mean to, literally? You have I, to just <laughs> pick the guys who are going to get goals and assists and see what happens. I don't know. Do they have soccer? I can assume they have soccer fantasy league, but. Oh yeah, they must. Like, that's do you, the what biggest sport in the world, John. Are you, do you like lose points? I, I know I've seen like, they have like golf fantasy leagues, but I just, I don't, mm-hmm. like you just, my guy did, he won the tournament, so I won. I don't know how that could work. There are, um, Dota 2 fantasy leagues for the computer game Dota 2. There's fantasy leagues for everything. There's box office fantasy leagues, which I'm actually kind of interested in. That would be kind of fun. That would could be a rule change. All of a sudden, it's a box office receipt fantasy league. 
I think we had a discussion once, or at least I was pondering the idea of adding in a component where you got like some number of points added to your score based on how you did picking all of the real life games against the spread for that week as well. Oh, I Which, don't, I don't, I mean, I think that's probably going to be like a heavy hand. The commissioner has to just add points at the end and you can't track during the week, but it would also just be cool if it was like, well, we were a tie and then I knew that the Browns would beat the 49ers. And so I went at fancy football. Yeah. I remember you mentioned um, a, an ethics rule, essentially, for uh, code of conduct violations and uh, domestic abuse, that and making those people either ineligible or heavily disfavored by the rules. Lots of great options. Who'd you say had those rule changes? Matt Schmidt and Alex Um. Matt Schmidt and Alex Um. Well, exciting times for them. Do they have any deadline to get those picks in? I have not expressed any. I mean, obviously, the draft is trending towards the Tuesday before um, the season starts. So the at least a comfortable margin before then would be great so that people know what they're trying to construct out of a team. Um, I will probably what I will do is uh, begin a more assertive uh, reminding campaign individually tailored to those two <laughs> if I don't hear anything soon. It's it's nice though. You got Matt and Alex, and those are like active guys who are around. It's not like you got some fucking scumbag who's just not gonna like check the chain, and you won't even know, and you can't get a hold of him. And like you, it, it, you're, you're, you'll be fine getting those guys to tell you when to uh, what they what, what they want to do. I'm sure it'll be good stuff. It'll be great. Well, Pat, it's already been more than 35 minutes, and now we're ready for the main topic. So I guess we, did, we didn't achieve that goal. But we can achieve our goal of talking about the song uh, Year 3000 by the Jonas Brothers. Pat, are you familiar with the song Year 3000 by the Jonas Brothers? As a matter of fact, I am, John. I, you know I, the song. I've given it some listens. It's, it's a good song, right? It's catchy, certainly. Oh, yeah. boy. Now, this is a – we're already way off track. This it's is, goofy. This is such a Pat Polk distinction. <laughs> you're gonna, so you're, I say, is this a good song? And you're immediately veering off. It's very catchy. Do you think this is a good song? If I'm being perfectly frank, I I probably do not you believe this, this is, is a good, good so song. You don't like things that sound good. What do you look for in music instead? <laughs> um, well... I I can only hazard a guess as to what you wish to talk about about this uh, song, but I would I would guess that some aspect of it will be the um, absurdity of the of the premise and specifics of it, and and I have a hard time just accepting the song uh, as it's presented just because of how silly it is off the bat. You know, oh, hmm. uh, you know, it's a silly song that is really good, and but it it just takes you unlike. The Jonas Brothers, um, it takes you for a ride, and you you're willing to go along with it, especially because it is completely surprising when it takes its hard turn. Do you know what song? <laughs> yeah, everyone, everyone, say it with me. No, I have no idea. One second. <laughs> there it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
<laughs> boom. Nope. Not boom by disc. Jump featuring Gizzle by Lupe Fiasco. Jump by Lupe Fiasco. That song starts one way and completely takes a hard turn halfway through and is amazing. You're talking like lyrically or like the style of the song or what do you mean? Yeah, the, 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 the yarn it weaves, uh, it, it is, I rec, I highly recommend you give Jump by Lupe Fiasco a listen and, and tell me what you think. Okay, I'm writing that down and, uh, next episode we'll do a segment on Jump by Lupe Fiasco. Today mm-hmm. we're doing a segment about my song, Pat, and it's a great fucking song, regardless of your bad opinion. But, I am mostly going to shit on it because it's a weird song. So I just I want to say first, it's a great song. And if you listen to it, it'll be good in uh, in your ears and you'll like it. But if you step back and you look at it, the song doesn't make any damn sense. So this, this song is called Year 3000. Just based on the title, what do you think probably happens? What's going on with this song? I imagine it is uh, a look into the future. And I, of course, have to think of the Conan O'Brien sketch in the year 2000. It is, it is, it is a look into the future, and I guess similar to uh, in the year 2000, the Conan thing. It is just like some facts. It's just here's the thing in the future. Uh, now, obviously, we have a little bit of context at the beginning, but like the, the, the main fun is like here's something from the future. But like instead of a weird joke, it is uh, a comment that isn't funny. <laughs> nothing in the future is particularly interesting and we learn nothing so here's like i'm just going to run through this real quick here's everything and like i've watched the video and heard this song a lot of times but then i just sat down and i pulled up the lyrics here's every single thing without exception that happens in the song one of the, i don't know i don't know there's three jonas brothers I don't know which is which. I I'll know. tell you. Tell me which I, is which. I don't. I'm oh, not going to oh, tell no. you that. What I'm going to tell you is I watched the, so I listened to the song several times to really take it in Smart. and, uh, found it to be enjo- enjoyably catchy but absurd and therefore I would say not a good song but an enjoyable song. But anyway, uh, even watching the video, I could not tell who was singing. I felt like they like, lip synced a different brothers verse like it sounded like they were being tricky with who they were showing singing practically on the video itself it seemed impossible that to match up who was singing at a given time that's unquestionably true i i think <laughs> in the video they are they're all over the place with the microphones and jumping around and who's doing what i have no idea so i know that's a, i know there's a nick jonas and i know mm-hmm. there's a joe jonas do you know mm-hmm. the third jonas brother I don't have it. I no. I don't. I don't know either. So, but anyway, one of those Ringo. I think Ringo Jonas. One of those three is the main Jonas. So I just I don't want to. So I can't say. And I, as you say as well, I can't tell who's fucking actually singing at any point. So we're just gonna say like the singer. So mm-hmm. this is all from his perspective. Yes. Here's everything that happens in this excellent song. He hears a noise out in his yard. <laughs> And he goes out in the yard, everything. and he he he's like, "Oh, it's my neighbor Peter." And Peter's name is only Peter because they rhyme Peter with flux capacitor, kind of. Ooh. And then he made a time machine, and so he's like, uh, 
like one he saw in a movie that he won't name. I'm not even. I'm not going line by line. But he's like, however, a movie with a time machine with a flux capacitor. But I won't say what movie. Yeah, I don't. You know, I th- I did see in on the Wikipedia page that this was originally a song by some British dude. Busted. Busted. There you go. And that the Jonas Brothers re-recorded the song for like some time travel movie that was coming out. I, I don't did not even know, know the, what the movie that origin. Was. But there is so like I don't think this was necessarily even like on a Jonas Brothers album. Which by the way, we'll get into Jonas Brothers albums because that's one of the five things that happen in this song is they reference their own albums. But anyway, the whole reason this exists is because Disney was like time travel movie coming up uh for kids. We need some soundtrack songs. Get on it. Well, let me tell you, uh it was on at least one Jonas Brothers actual album. I think it was on two because the uh w- listening to this on Spotify and you have the lyric genius. Okay. It talks about uh how they were like sure that this was going to be a surefire hit uh because of the teen boy band craze and then it didn't hit and then there's like they dropped from their they got dropped from their label. Oh no. And then they got a new label and then they released it again on another album okay. and then it got bigger. Very uh, so smart. I think it was on I think it was at least a single for one label and on an album for another label, or it was on two actual albums. But I know that it was on at least one album. I'm sure it's this movie's fault. That's what fucked everything up. Uh so I I, I can start over because this is so short. Heard a noise. He goes out in the yard, it's his neighbor. And his neighbor's like, I made a time machine. I used a flux, capa- flux capacitor. I went to the future. Everything's the same, except people live underwater. So everything's not the same. It's a big caveat. And then also, when I was in the future, I checked. And your great, great, great granddaughter is doing fine. Big problem with this part of the song. That's everything Peter has to say. Not good enough, Peter. You've established nothing. And then... Oh, go ahead. Then they want to experience the future for themselves. Exactly. And so then... So more things happen. They're like, hey, yo, weird Peter, take me to the future. And so they go to the future. Peter took me to the future. Here's everything we learn. There are still lots of boy bands. People, <laughs> women oh. have hair like Princess Leia. One woman is maybe floating... There's a kind of a reference to a woman floating. And then the only other thing is that this song, Year 3000, is very popular. And the Jonas Brothers' seventh album outsold Kelly Clarkson, which is apparently a great measure of success. That's the at least two people, probably four people, because in the video they all go to the future. At least four people went to the future. 90% of what we learn is like Jonas Brothers' future record sales. It's very self-centered. Also, the time machine was the couch. Well, they jump into the couch. Well, he has to not take in the, the theory, not in the lyrics. I understand. He has to take uh, the I, I cushion if, off the couch, and that's where the time machine is. <laughs> so good job, Peter. Uh, I wonder if that was. I, I don't. I didn't look at the chronology, but did Hot Tub Time Machine happen first, or did this song happen first? I would think this song predates Hot Tub Time Machine. I think this song's first, yeah. So I wonder if it was inspired by the Jonas Brothers Couch Time Machine. Like, that fucking thing. But but they had the opposite experience in that they kept releasing the same movie, and it got worse and worse. But the Jonas Brothers, straight up to the top. I just think, my main point, I've discussed before, 
my affection for like hard sci-fi. This is the softest sci-fi I've ever heard of. I don't what what is the point of writing a song about going to the future if all you learn is that your records will do well and boy bands will continue to be successful. And then oh as a quick aside in the next thousand years, everyone has to be living underwater. So try to figure that out between now and then. That that is hilarious. That it was dismissed at the beginning of the description of the future. That uh, everything's the same except everyone lives underwater. But every, everything's cool. Don't worry. We just happen to be an underwater society now. Do you think now? Not going by the video, just going by the song, the lyrics. Do you think that that means people live? in domes filled with air under the water or do you think they have gills and they swim around my interpretation would be that it is in living in some sort of structure underwater and that you're not fish people i would hope that if you were reporting on the future to your friends and you have one sentence you would not just say everything's the same except we live underwater if you actually had evolved into water world fish people with gills I would think you would say, I went to the future, it's water world. <laughs> we have gills and we, we live underwater. Do you think, I think in a thousand year time span, it's much more conceivable that we will invent technology that allows us to modify our bodies and breathe under, underwater than it is that we will have 100% reliable domes at the bottom of the ocean that everyone in the world lives in. What do you think? Both are difficult, but the domes seem, or whatever seems so hard. Well, I mean, you're comparing making an invention of gill breathing to relocating 100% of the population. If Are you also saying that 100% of the population would be getting these gill contraptions? So well, that it's apples to apples? I, I mean, I, apples to apples in the sense that like maybe global warming is such that there's no more land and a hundred percent of the population is whoever can afford to either live in the dome or get the gill procedure and that we just give people the gill procedure. Like maybe we just give it to them when they're in utero and it's fine. I, th- I think um in that scenario. So then the population is a fraction of our population. Uh, there's a large die off. If if we lose all of landmass, I would think that actually the uh, underwater structure would be more likely than uh, providing gills <laughs> to, to humans. Yeah, because again, I, I you probably would not actually have to accommodate as large of a population as you think. I guess that's. I mean, it could just be that there's one city. Yeah. If, if you so, I guess it, what, that's what it really is. It's depending. It depends upon what sort of population you're willing to accept. Because, like, if you're living, if you, if you're, if it's, if it, you take it further, and you're talking about essentially adapting an underwater world to be ha- habitable, or not just gills, but just, like the rest of your enough, body yeah. that needs to fully live underwater at all times without having other problems, you would need way more than just gills. Uh, and I think that would be a very difficult process and also obviously very difficult to provide to everyone. And obviously, 
evolution is not going to handle that. Well, yeah, evolution doesn't do us any good here. Um, I, I'm really worried about our, our, our domes though, because it's like that thing about how you read about like how difficult it is to like build a society on Mars and how like it's very reasonable we'll just never be able to do it. And that especially one that's self-sustaining because even if you meet all the challenges and like build it, you can't fix anything without like a rocket ship coming from the earth with what you need. And it's that next step of like actually, so like what's going to happen? We'll build our fucking domes at the bottom of the ocean and then we'll be like, look up like what's that fucking crack in the ceiling? We left all the glue up on the surface. We're fucked. We can't do anything. We're going to be hosed. Yeah, I mean, there would be a lot of steps to that process. You, you, like, if the Earth is ruined completely in the environment, like, obviously, once things were getting dire, some, there would have, I would not even hope to believe, because this is still an apocalyptic scenario, but I would, necessarily, there would be innovation and attempts to, um, remedy the problems as things escalate before you're to the point where you have to live underwater. And I I would think that like, for instance, in this society, you would for sure have like an, like a zero carbon footprint. Like you would, you would be reusing and recycling and repurposing and restructuring things on a scale. We cannot comprehend if we're in a post-apocalypse society that even has a chance to live underwater. So I feel like you would not, you would never be relying on things that are outside of the bubble because you would necessarily have by that point already had methods and, and been able to repurpose things to the point that you didn't need it. I bet like a whale would get really mad and smash the dome. (laughs) A whale would be mad at people for ruining the earth and to begin with. And, and if we invent the gill procedure or, I think I'd like to change it to a pill. Everybody can take a pill. It gives them uh, gills or whatever. It doesn't have to be gills. It's just some way. It could be a, a new way to breathe underwater. I don't know. I'm upwardly is. revising the chance that this does not happen before the underwater <laughs> society if it's a pill. Uh, everybody takes the pill. And then uh, maybe that also gives them like a knife finger that they can use to stab the whale if it tries to fuck with them. Whereas everybody in the dome just sits there and hopes the whale doesn't come by. These people in the dome are idiots. I'll take my pill. Think of the underwater laser uh, defense m- things that we have in the year three thousand. You you would that that dome would be such a fortress. The, you know, in every post-apocalyptic movie, there's the city, and then there's the insane either mutants or just otherwise bandits. They would need some serious fortress-like defense against the random human survivors and also any aquatic uh, pests. Now, I'd, I'm not afraid of a whale in this scenario. You, know, you, you you set that laser system off one time, immediately enacts super global warming. All the water boils off and now you're just sitting in a dome greenhouse. You're just cooking in there. Meanwhile, everybody in the gills, so they don't care if the water's gone because they still got lungs too. We're just walking around, chilling, totally fine. You know, you know the solution. This is this is obviously. I'm just thinking of like the the worst 
scientific solutions for these problems like how people are talking about like why don't we just release more pollution and make the world colder like that sort of thing the worst solution to running out of landmass is you definitely just set off super volcanoes (laughs) and you have all these brand new (laughs) new volcanic islands and that's what you do in the year 3000 when you don't have any uh any landmass you just you you set off huge seismic more every day exactly you there's no air but there is yeah. new volcanic island all over the place. Every day you wake up and you're floating. Like, oh, I better swim over there. That's where the land is today. Yeah. Um, if you, if, if, if you, if you, you say, let's assume, because it's an easy assumption, that the gill technology exists. Uh, <laughs> now, what do you think? I, that's, it's not good enough. If you have to be underwater, like obviously I know there's pressure issues. Just because you have gills doesn't mean you can just swim to the bottom of the ocean and hang out. Yeah. But say you're just like, like, I assume, like if I go in a pool, my fingers get all crinkly after like pretty quick. Would, would I just die of that if I was in a pool for like three days? What would happen? Yeah, I'd, I would think uh, you would have problems with hydration and yeah like your cells bloating and soaking up and and i bursting at some point i feel like yeah that was one of the things i was thinking about when we're talking about just gills not being enough to solve the problem i think you would need a lot of body modifications to be able to permanently live underwater yeah it really shows you how terrible the dome idea must be if the gill (laughs) idea is better than that the gill idea has a lot of problems. So if the dome <laughs> idea is worse, think it's just don't even just cancel it immediately. Work on the gill technology. We're gonna need it. Um, Pat, do you have any? Like, this has been a great conversation about year three thousand. <laughs> uh, do you have anything else about year three thousand you'd like to say? I mean, besides, like, so the the most glaring problem is what you've pointed out, and what I could could I could genuinely continue talking about the problem of just waving off the fact that everyone lives underwater. Uh, but every other aspect of the envisioned future is so absurd. And like they obviously, if this came out in what, like 2000 or something, I think like 2006, 2006, like they should have said like the year, like 2050 or something like they're talking about their own seventh album. They're talking about their own great, great, great granddaughter, they're talking about caring about Kelly Clarkson's uh, sales. They're talking about the popularity of boy bands. I don't understand the juxtaposition of the living underwater, which is necessarily, hopefully, far-flung future, and extremely local, short-term concerns about pop music and uh, your own uh, progeny. And, and being far too few generations ahead to even be, con- there's no way a thousand years from now is your great, great, great granddaughter. Um, those are also huge glaring issues with this song. The, as you said, why did someone write this song? Why did, why does this song exist? It is fun, uh, but it is so dumb on like every conceivable level. Uh, the best part about the song, or the best part of what you've, what you've just said is that there's a really similar version of the song that is dumber and objectively worse in every way. And I don't mean the original. 
Oh, oh, I was for sure thinking you were uh, thinking of Busted, which is the original. Yeah. And I listened to that and I was also shocked at how similar it sounded. They did not just cover this song. They stole, they just took this song and changed it a little bit. And then they released the exact same song, but it is not a cover of the Busted song. But what is this version you're talking about, John? We're going to get to plugs in a second. I'm opening with an anti-plug. If you care, and this is, I, I, I direct this at you, Pat, but anyone listening in the present or the future, if you care about yourself and your well-being in the slightest, do not watch this video. But the Jonas Brothers are back. You know the Jonas Brothers are back, and they're like out and about, and they're doing some tours and stuff. I am aware that they are coming back or are back. Yeah, they went on that fucking James Corden show. Oh. And James Corden, he fancies himself a song and dance man every now and then. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And then uh, he was like, uh, why don't you you guys welcome welcome to the show, boys. We do moderate centrist humor here. (laughs) Why don't we do a sketch that's set in like the year 2005 when you guys 2006 when you released this song (sighs) why don't we do this sketch and the premise is year 2019 and we tell everybody how weird it is in the future and we have lyrics about how the president is pretty weird (laughs) <laughs> this song makes me want to stab everyone. Yeah. It is infuriating how it, re- yeah. it refuses to take even the slightest stand and just makes a list of like references to the internet from three years ago and claims that's what 2019 is. And also, don't worry, we didn't say, accidentally say anything even slightly reflective of the fact that like the president drinks immigrants' blood. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds truly awful. I agree that that sounds like I. Uh, so a, it sounds it's a bad idea. B, taking no stance is bad. C, it's just annoying when any form of media does that, like fake hindsight or fake future sight. Uh, a obvious example of this, but but taking a stance, obviously, the. Uh, Sorkin show newsroom taking oh, the taking the recent past news, but then having the benefit of hindsight and and ha- tackling everything exactly right. It is just so annoying when people uh, wink wink and nod or dead serious uh, have yeah like oh this is what's gonna happen because we know ha 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 oh, that's terrible. It's so bad. Like I've just watched Year Three Thousand enough times on YouTube that. YouTube is like, well, we gotta fucking find some more Year Three Thousand content <laughs> yeah. for this dumbass. So you like one thing? Our algorithm yeah. says it's like this guy exactly keeps watching the thing. same Polygon videos from when Griffin McElroy was there, and Aww. then he just goes back and he watches Year Three Thousand again. <laughs> we recommended all the Polygon videos. What do we got for Year Three Thousand? Yeah. And boy, do I regret the fact <laughs> that I'm going to watch it as soon as we're done recording. It makes me want to throw up, but in kind of a good way. No one else should subject themselves to it. I'll watch it again. Maybe next episode we'll talk about year 2019, and I'll just grind my fucking teeth the whole time. Ugh. That was an anti-plug. Pat, do you have any positive plugs? I do have some plugs. I don't know how many you want. Um, oh, hit me with a bunch. Let's do it. All right. Uh, first of all, 
I want to say that I re- last weekend, um, I was a volunteer for the uh, Bit Bash, which is Chicago's uh, indie video game festival, and it is super cool. And I've it's been around for about five years now, and I've attended most of them and volunteered at a lot of them. And I recently got a promotion to captain, uh, one of the captains of the volunteers. Captain but, nerd, way to go! Yeah, uh, it's they're super weird, super small games. Like a lot of them are made by a single person, that sort of thing. But uh, they super stepped up their game because this year, just this past weekend on Saturday and Sunday, it was at the Museum of Science and Industry. And there were like 80 games and it was a huge thing. And there were so many people, there were like 2,000 people came and uh, it was at MSI and it was really cool. And anyone who is in Chicago or can be in Chicago, next time there's a Bit Bash, you should come because it was really fun. How often do they do this? Is it yearly? Yeah, they they are now – so they were kind of doing what they called a bit bash in the summertime and an itty-bitty bash or uh, in the the winter. And they kind of – they didn't do an itty-bitty bash this year because they were gearing up for the, the big one at they MSI. They so, Yeah, so I don't know if they are done with the twice a year and they're just going to try and keep growing, which probably would be the right thing to do, um, but ap- approximately once a year probably. It sounds really fun. Is it, uh, like, what do you do as a volunteer there? So when I was merely a regular volunteer, uh, I was assigned to a section of the game stations and kind of, like, tried to learn about the games. And you're obviously there to, A, like, make sure if they crash or something that you can restart them or get them working. And, B, kind of, like, get explain the game to people and, and help them play it and hopefully they have fun. And so when I was a volunteer, I was very centrally like just hovering in a very small area with a a narrow range of expertise on those games and when i was a captain i was in charge of the whole main floor um so it was like 20 games or 30 games and and i was wandering around and uh making sure that the other volunteers were where they were supposed to be or if they needed a break like having people cover for them um so just kind of similar just uh hanging out the game stations other people are doing tickets other people are uh, there's, there's set up and tear down issues, uh, that people can help with, but I, with the job and the baby was never able to do that. So I was only available during shifts of the actual festival itself. Um, so there's a lot of ways to be involved. And also if you want to not just attend, but a volunteer, feel, feel free to reach out to me. Um, but, uh, yeah, mostly I was just kind of like around the games and making sure they work and making sure people were they supposed to be. Sounds, uh, really fantastic. What is the coolest thing you saw there this year? Well, um, there's this one uh, British guy named Robin, and uh, last name that starts with a C, I think. And he, uh, one of the big features of Bitbash is like not just weird indie games where you're playing with a controller or a keyboard with like something that's super weird, um, but they have like kind of a lot of games that are alternate control schemes or very weird. So like there's a game called Hell Couch, where it was a multiplayer game where you're standing up and sitting down on an actual physical couch based on like lighting and stuff. And, uh, there's a game called sushi sashimi slammers that, that had rubber, uh, fish that you were hitting and you're kind of playing, uh, like uh, sumo wrestlers, like they're put trying to push each other into a vat of cooking oil off the edge of the platform, uh, and stuff like that. But anyway, there's this one guy who does a very specific type of, LED games, uh, and so he has a game called Line Wobbler, 
which has been at a lot of bit bashes and he has a new one called quantum garden and uh line wobbler is a, a single string of led lights and so this year he put it around a curved staircase at msi so it wasn't in a straight line but it was still like a linear path and the controller is like a single joystick on a, on a springy spring. And so you can, you control a light that goes down the path uh, and you're trying to get to the end, but there's bad guys. And so you have to flick the springy controller and it kind of wobbles and it eats the bad guys if you time it right. <laughs> and so you just have to eat all the bad guys and get to the end. And then it goes to the next level and it's uh, and it gets harder and harder. And so it's just like very simple and intuitive, but very cool. But then, Quantum Garden, which I'm going to send you a video of right now, um, was also LED lights and springs, but it was a bunch of essentially like door stopper springs with a bunch of lights around them, and uh, they were sensitive to touch and vibration, and so you would flick them, and they would like concentric rings of light of different colors would like ripple out from the different springs and uh, interact with each other, and I. He said that it is like a simulation of quantum physics because uh, sometimes it's not just a ring, but it's kind of like a wandering, meandering light going around a path. And I don't really know if it's a game or if it's just a really cool light show, but it is a really cool light show, and it was one of my favorite things. I am looking at this now, and it is absolutely a really cool light show, I, at, at the very least. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's that's awesome. So that guy's cool. And so that was my favorite thing this year. Uh, there's a typing game called, mm, I think it was called Word After Word, maybe. And it was a, it was like a competitive typing game. There were four keyboards hooked up, so four people could play at the same time. And, uh, on the screen, there would be one word at a time per player, and it would be usually an adjective, uh, usually an adjective. And then you had to name a, a noun that frequently would immediately follow that word. And you, you would type it in and push enter. And the more common your, the pairing was, the more your bar would fill up. And you were trying to race to fill up your bar faster than the other players. And so it was both about speed, but also thinking of things that go together well. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, uh, it was kind of fun to, so we did that a bunch of times. That sounds really fantastic. Yeah. Um, I, I think everybody should take note of this and, and, and go to one of these events the next time it's available. And, since we all know someone who's a uh, what, captain volunteer, lead mm-hmm. and everything, you, you, this is your event. This is the Pat Paul Honorary Video Game Convention. Absolutely. Um, we, we can all, uh, I don't know, is it, you get, get us free tickets or something? I, ha- I had uh, free tickets this time. Um, I don't know how many I can get in general, but uh, it's whatever the price is, will, it's, it's it worth will coming. It certainly be worth it, yeah. Yep. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to plug tonight? Yes. Um, so I don't remember exactly how, but I recently got r- to change gears because probably your the safe assumption is I'm going to talk about uh, video games, maybe food, maybe movies at a stretch. I'm going to talk about music. Ha-ha. Music. Wow, there you go. Um, I recently got re-into a quirky and awesome Japanese electronic artist named Cornelius. I don't know if you're familiar with Cornelius. Uh, named after... Uh, Yukon? What'd you say? 
Yukon Cornelius? Uh, no, the uh, ape from uh, Planet of the Apes. Oh, that's good, too. Cornelius. And so he had a couple of albums around like 1999 and 2002 or something like that. Phantasma and Point, and they're super good. And then, and I was into them shortly after that time period, like in high school, college time. And I loved it, still do. And then he didn't really do much for a while. And then he started producing new music again. And it's way different. Um, it's much more like there's a lot more acoustic guitar and instruments, a lot less quirky, boppy, uh, poppy music, but it's still really good. But, uh, he's, he released a new album and then kind of a remix of that album with, with guest artists recently. And so then I looked and he is touring America and Japan performing his classic album point. And I wish I could go to one of these shows. However, our friends, our dear friends who live in specifically Los Angeles and Portland can go in person for a very reasonable wow. price and see Cornelius perform his classic album point. And I really think they should because it's super awesome. And everyone should also listen to point and phantasma, if not the new albums, which are also good. If we want to check that out, is that something that's going to be on like Spotify, Apple music or you yeah, if YouTube, you, or what do we do? If you go to Spotify and you search Cornelius, you will find this guy. Um, I looked and uh, CorneliusJapan.com slash tour one has his touring stuff. So he's at the Echoplex in Los Angeles on September 24th, the Santa Monica Pier on September 25th, and I believe that is a free show. Uh, the Fillmore in San Francisco, uh, Revolution Hall, September 29th in Portland. Uh, and uh, he's super awesome, and I... I am super jealous, as I said. Very cool. Uh, Pat, any more plugs? I'll leave it at that. I think two is pretty good. Um, I feel strongly about both of those things, so I hope uh, people check them out. How about you? Nope, I don't believe I have any plugs. Uh, Pat Polk, thank you so much for coming on the show. Did you have an okay time tonight? Oh, absolutely. We should We should do this again just like this. I, I think it's a good show. I think we could run it back and everybody would be more than happy to hear it. Absolutely. Best wishes in the intervening days. Oh.